Hello, everybody. This is Isaac Hill. And this show is called Mystical America, but you probably already knew that. I just got back from a long, treacherous journey across the country. And I've learned some things. Actually, they're things I already knew, but I guess I've just been reminded of them somewhat painfully once again. And so I guess I felt like maybe I should give you guys some advice. I don't typically like giving advice. In fact, I'm generally opposed to advice giving and the class of people that I call the advice giving class, the self-help people, the hustle entrepreneurs, the gurus who are insistent that they know the one true way, and then just your acquaintances who are extremely annoying because they give you advice that they themselves cannot seem to follow. I guess the hypocrites of the world. But here's the difference between me and those people is that I already know that uh, I actually don't follow my own advice. I'm awful at following my advice. I'd love for you to follow it, but I'll be the first to let you know that I'm terrible at following my own advice. In fact, I'm terrible at following everything I know I should do, everything that's good, holy, and true. I seem to subconsciously abhor and ignore it. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. Okay, nonetheless, I felt like giving some advice here. Now listen, I've been into doing stuff like this podcast for a long, long time, since I was a kid. And what I mean by stuff like this is I've always been really into talking about God, talking about theology, talking about cosmology, talking about philosophy, never actually really bothering to study any real philosophical texts or read Hegel or Kant or any of that bullshit, but I have always been obsessed with talking about and listening to people talk about what this whole thing is about. I want to get at the essence of all this. I've always wanted to understand it, for lack of a better word. We'll just call it, it. This thing that we're placed into, our consciousness, our mind, our bodies, our souls, or lack thereof, I wanna know what the fuck is that about? And I've spent a lot of time searching for that. And if you're like me, and maybe you are because you're listening to this podcast, I don't want to be narcissistic and assume that, but maybe you share these same niche interests as me, and you'd like to uncover what's going on beneath it all. You are on the search. You're a seeker, as they like to say. I can't tell you the number of times that some guy on the street has told me I'm a seeker. 
And yeah, it might sound a little corny, but I would venture to guess that probably quite a few of you listening right now are seekers of some form or another. And I just want to caution you that time is moving very, very fast. It's moving faster than you know, and things are going to change before you know it. I'm not talking on some grand cosmic scale. I'm just saying in your personal life that friends will move, friends will die, friends will get sick, things will change, your job will change, your life will change. So respect the moment you're in right now and spend time with the people you care about. I know it sounds generic and cliche, but I've come to realize in my life that the most true things, the most important things, are the over-repeated, cliche, generic statements. Spend time with the people you love, guys, because they love you more than you know. They love you even when you feel unlovable. And I feel like that gift, those friends, those partners, those members of your family who are willing to love you even when you feel profoundly unlovable, depressed, dirty, filthy, unwashed, whatever the hell. That is an example of God's grace, God's mercy, or if you don't want to use God, the universe's love, the universe's mercy, right here on this earth. And I am kind of coming to realize that more so than all the searching and seeking, which is fun and great, and I love it, and I'm going to continue to do it, the purpose of our lives here on earth is to replicate that love, that divine love, by being that force of unconditional love for our friends, for people in our community. And again, like I said, things are changing so fast, so don't waste your time sitting around by yourself overthinking too much. Go out, love your friends, make beautiful things with them, talk to them, hold them, hug them, don't be afraid, it's not gay, bro. It's chill. Hug your friends. Love your friends. I know, stupid, simple, but it's so important. All right, on to the show, guys. I love you. This is Mystical America. I had a relatively extreme existential crisis and decided to hike a trail called the PCT. That's short for Privileged Children's Trail. Just kidding. Um, It's actually short for Pacific Crest Trail. 
The PCT is the definition of crazy white people shit. It's a 2,000-something mile trail that runs from the border of Mexico all the way to the border of Canada. And the aim is to hike the whole thing, walking all the way from Mexico to Canada with just a backpack, a tent, and a couple bags of trail mix. The trail runs through California, Oregon, and Washington, running right through the middle of all those states. Now, I hadn't really spent much time on the West Coast before doing this, and let me tell you that I was blown away by how fucking weird, how fucking spiritually and paranormally inclined people were on the West Coast. Especially in small mountain towns where there's nothing to do but take acid and grow pot, or take pot and grow acid, whatever's clever. In the future, I'd like to do a full episode on the PCT and the tales of hikers encountering mining town ghosts and UFOs over the Mojave, but for now, I'll just tell you one of my tales. So while I was on the PCT, I'd sometimes hitchhike into towns to pick up more food or attempt to find somewhere to shower. I think hitchhiking was secretly my favorite part of the PCT. It was a throwback to a time in America before everyone was worried about pedophiles with white vans and serial killers. There's a joke I've heard thrown around by thru-hikers, crust punks, and ramblers of all sorts, and the joke is that when you're hitchhiking, you either get picked up by the coolest, most interesting, and open-minded people in the country, or you get picked up by a murderer. There's not much in between when you're hitchhiking. Thankfully, as you can tell, I didn't get murdered, so needless to say, I met some profoundly fascinating people. Perhaps the most fascinating thing, though, was how many people who gave me rides told me they had been abducted by aliens. It was hard to figure out what to make of it, as these people didn't exactly seem sober, but they didn't seem schizophrenic or crazy, either. Were they telling the truth? I don't know. It's not my job. Regardless, I'd always tell them that I was desperately hoping to see a UFO or have an alien encounter while hiking as well. And they'd all say the same thing. You'll definitely see one in Mount Shasta. If you didn't know, Mount Shasta is a volcanic mountain located in northern central California. And it's a weird place, but we'll get into that. Eventually, the trail and I wound our way up to Mount Shasta, and I sat watching the sunset as summer lightning crackled in the distance. The storm thankfully avoided my campsite, 
For the next couple of days, I hiked near the mountain and would always faithfully stare up at the stars looking for something. Unfortunately, I saw nothing but some incredible shooting stars and a few satellites. Nothing supernatural. That's just the way it goes, I've learned. The paranormal and the strange often come your way when you least expect it. And when you get your hopes up to see something, you get a big bowl of nothing. Nevertheless, there was something about the place that fascinated me and would continue to fascinate me. And as I went about my life and spent more time on the West Coast, I would continue to hear strange tales of gnome-like creatures, reptilian apparitions, robed cults, and demon-possessed van life girls, all occurring under the shadow of Mount Shasta. It would seem that if mystical America was an actual road trip, and not an audio one, Mount Shasta would have to be stop number one. I've come to realize, as I've done more and more research, that Mount Shasta is intricately linked to the history and ever-present reality of theosophy and its offshoots in America. And it would seem that where theosophy goes, a mix of occult strangeness and money-driven New Age fraudulence always follows. Shasta is certainly no exception. As mystical America continues, we will delve deeper into the depths of Shasta and the hidden history of American theosophy, as it seems to be a nearly endless whirlpool of mystery and madness. But this episode's going to be our introduction to the topic, so pardon me if you've heard some of this before. Hopefully my gorgeous, gorgeous voice will keep you thoroughly entertained. Now let's start with theosophy. For those who don't know, what the hell is theosophy? Well, theosophy is really the mostly forgotten origin of the New Age movement. It's a synthesis of Western esoteric principles, spiritualism, and Eastern religious ideas from Buddhism and Hinduism, and then some stuff that was just totally new and slash or made up, and maybe some racism thrown in for good measure, but really theosophy is the origin of the crystal girlies, the indigo children, the age of Aquarius people, and the ascended master Doreen virtue type people. We really can't talk about theosophy and the theosophical movement without saying a little bit about its founder, the infamous, enigmatic, and highly controversial Madame 
Blavatsky. Feared by some, respected by others, and laughed at by quite a few as well, Blavatsky has been seen as a progressive, syncretic religious revolutionary, a decolonial figurehead, and a fraudulent Victorian eugenicist. As easy as it is to deride Blavatsky. And many have. We simply can't talk religion in America today without talking about Blavatsky and Blavatsky's influence on the modern and postmodern religious landscape. Okay, who was Madame Blavatsky? Here is a quick bio. I stole most of it from Wikipedia because I was lazy and because I wanted to focus my research for this episode on Mount Shasta and Lemuria and Theosophy and America specifically. But regardless, we got to talk about Blavatsky. Blavatsky, again, the founder of Theosophy, was born in 1837. Their given name was Yelena Petrovna von Hahn. Hope I'm saying that right. They were part of an aristocratic Russian family. As a youth, they traveled the world. They did various bourgeoisie things, blah, 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 blah. And of course, she claimed to spend time in the great mystical country known as Tibet. Emphasis on claimed, because this is a highly disputed claim. Somewhere in New York City, she got involved with spiritualism. That's the whole seance and contacting the dead movement of the time. Blavatsky intended to prove that spiritualism was real, but she also believed that the spirits contacted by spiritualists were not actually dead people in the sense that the spiritualists claimed, but they were tricky elemental spirits and the empty, hollow, left-behind shells of deceased individuals. Helena was deeply, deeply influenced by spiritualism, but her influence and reach would ultimately come to eclipse spiritualism, in my opinion. Sometime in 1875, in the one and only New York City, Blavatsky and her compatriots Henry Olcott and William Judge found the Theosophical Society. It's a society based around Blavatsky's interpretations of spiritualism and various esoteric traditions and according to Blavatsky the name was a mixture of the Greek words Theos and Sophia or God and wisdom. Therefore Theosophy equals God wisdom. Boom. In 1877 she published her first book Isis Unveiled Egyptian mythology Isis, not the other Isis. But yeah, this book, it's a channeled text of sorts written by what Blavatsky claimed was a secondary outside consciousness within her. The book's main thesis is that all religions stem from a lost ancient wisdom, which is something you still see people trying to prove today when they go on YouTube and make these vaguely conspiratorial videos where they're comparing Egyptian mythology and the Christian mythos and trying to say that it's all the same thing. Okay, after that, Blavatsky and their theosophical friends spend a lot of time in India. Honestly, not going to bother talking about that here. But highly recommend you all look into it as it's fascinating stuff. 
Theosophy in India is linked to Gandhi and Gandhi's influence. It's linked to the one and only Krishnamurti. And some even claim that the Theosophists were major players in bringing down the British colonial empire. But do your own research on that. She spent the last of her years in Europe founding Theosophical Lodges and penning her penultimate book titled The Secret Doctrine. She dies of influenza on May 8th of 1891. Blavatsky's Theosophy in summary is one of the first early modern attempts at a syncretic wisdom tradition. It holds, as many newer religious traditions have, that all religions ultimately point towards the same often secret long-lost truth, the great mystery and wisdom of the ages, so to speak. Theosophy also combined Western occult ideas with Eastern ideas of reincarnation and karma. From Theosophy and its offshoots, we get the concept of ascended masters, groups of ascended teachers that range from Jesus to the archangels to Krishna, that offer their help to humanity when called upon. The concept of Ascended Masters can still be seen in New Age thinking today. In fact, I have my incredible Ascended Masters Oracle deck by Doreen Virtue sitting by me right now. And believe me, that deck is a masterwork of spiritual kitsch. Blavatsky was also interested in race. She developed a theory of what she called root races, or the lost origin of humanity and its races. Unfortunately, she espouses the spiritual superiority of the Aryan race over so-called primitive races. Now look, I don't like to hold people from the past to the same standard as today, because I generally see it this way. I believe that many of our beliefs that each of us hold today will probably wind up being looked at as idiotic, bigoted, and backwards by some future society. I mean, that's just the way things go as we grow and evolve and our views collectively shift as a society. Nevertheless, a lot of what Blavatsky says is uh, uncomfortable stuff and just... Pretty painful to read, but I'm going to leave it at that, because judge not lest ye be judged, but there is still a lot of work to do in decolonizing spirituality and taking an honest look at the racist origins of some of this shit. But unfortunately, this is where we start our journey to Mount Shasta. Because one of the root races proposed by Blavatsky was the Lemurians. Who are the Lemurians? Maybe you've heard of the Lemurians and Lemuria before. Uh, they're often mentioned in the same breath as Atlantis and the Atlanteans. Why is that? Because they're both root races of long-lost ancient societies, according to Blavatsky. The origin of the term Lemuria actually comes from a zoologist named Philip Slater. He proposed that a sunken continent was the cause behind lemur fossils being found in Madagascar and India, but not in Africa or the Middle East. So yes, Lemuria is in fact a reference to lemurs. Somewhere along the way though, the theosophist picked 
Philip's hypothetical lost continent idea up, and they ran with it. Atlantis was, according to the Theosophists, the large lost Atlantic continent, and Lemuria was the large lost Pacific continent and civilization. According to Theosophists, the Lemurian civilization actually preceded the Atlantean civilization. And while Lemuria was being destroyed by cataclysmic volcanoes, Atlantis was in its infancy as a civilization, or so the story goes. According to BlavatskyTheosophy.com, which is a Theosophy stand site if I've ever seen one, Quote, Lemuria and its diverse people the Lemurians preceded Atlantis and the Atlanteans and were destroyed by subterranean fire, volcanic action, and the sinking of their land while Atlantis and Atlanteans were still in their infancy. The Atlantean root race was the predecessor of our own Aryan, also called Indo-Caucasian, root race, and in light of this fact, combined with how incredibly long ago it was that Atlantis flourished, not to mention its prehistoric Pacific parent civilization of Lemuria, it's obviously erroneous and impossible that the Atlanteans or Lemurians were of white or Caucasian appearance in any way, despite the New Age movement's preference and peculiar inclination to portray them as such. The majority of them, the Lemurians, bore relatively little physical resemblance to modern man at all. Many of the Atlanteans were gigantic in stature, and the Lemurians even more so. The Lemurian Epoch was so long ago, and so far back in the primal infancy of physical man, that the Lemurians, who are said to have possessed a, quote, third eye in the back of their heads, which in modern man is degenerated into, and represented by, the pineal gland, never even developed any form of speech or verbal communication beyond a basic monosyllabic grunt. Theosophy deals with fact, while the New Age movement deals with fantasy. But back to the letter. And that was very shady. I love it. So, as you can see, the traditional theosophists that have survived till today, and there are a few of those, they have quite a bit of beef with the New Agers of our time. Whilst the New Agers continually borrow freely from and often deny the existence of theosophy at all. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Some folks, after Blavatsky's passing, began to claim, quite persistently in fact, that the Lemurians did not actually go extinct but actually now reside in total secrecy underneath Mount Shasta. Hey y'all, uh, before I get back into Lemuria and Mount Shasta, I just wanted to pause and say that if you have the time, I would really appreciate hopefully a positive review on either Spotify, or even better would be a written review on Apple Podcasts. I am not doing any Patreon stuff right now. I'm not doing any advertisements. I'm not looking for any money or fame or fortune at the moment. I am really just looking to find 
other people who have interesting stories of the American spiritual underbelly and of hidden traditions in the United States. Uh, If this podcast has kept you company on long road trips through the night, through the plains, through the prairie, through the mountains, through the coast, wherever you are, if you enjoy the subjects that I talk about and want me to keep going, I don't really need these reviews, but I need these reviews in the sense that they will help other people listen and find this podcast. So I really appreciate it. If you could do that, I will send so many blessings and prayers your way. Trust me on that. All right, back to the show. Now, a little about Mount Shasta. Like I said before, it is a volcanic mountain in Northern California, and it's potentially still active. It has this bizarre wonderful, perfectly conical shape, and when you're driving around the area, it's this haunting, looming presence over the landscape. People have lived around Mount Shasta for an extremely long time. There were a multitude of tribes who lived in the area around Mount Shasta, and unfortunately they were devastated by the massive influx of miners during the gold rush. And these miners continually disrespected the rivers and the lands of the Shastan tribes. Miners killed 50 to 60 tribes people as they believed them to be obstacles to the success of their mines. The conflicts between the indigenous people continued even after peace treaties had been signed and reservations created, with armed violence, poisoning, and general disregard for the lands of the Shastan tribes from the mining population. The aftermath of these conflicts can be felt today as the New Age, Los Angeles spiritual folks, and crystal healers are often derided by the indigenous people remaining around Mount Shasta for their disrespect of the mountain's fragile landscape. Ironically, the same people who were obsessed with the idea of ancient civilizations would cause the devastation of a ancient civilization that had been residing there for quite some time. But hey, that's America, I suppose, and I'm not here to only show you the fun and freaky parts of America and America's spiritual subcultures, but I am also here to show you the painful parts as well. And as much as I would just love to talk about the hilarious and wonderful meme that is Mount Shasta and the Lemurians residing within it and the whole lost civilization idea and all the UFO and paranormal stuff, I also have to talk about the pain and the disrespect to the land that has occurred there because that's key to understanding this story and how complicated it truly is. In honor of the people who were harmed by these settlers, I should mention that the indigenous people of Shasta had their own mythos surrounding the mountain. 
The Shastan people had long held that the mountain was sacred, and they believed the mountain was inhabited by the spirit of a powerful chief named Skell. Skell descended from the heavens to do battle with an underworld spirit. Skell threw rocks and lava at this underworld spirit, and this is claimed to be a representation of the volcanic activity of the mountain and the area as a whole. That is just one prominent indigenous legend though, and I'm going to be linking a bibliography in the podcast description that can point you to more indigenous legends from the area if you would like to read them, and uh, I highly recommend that you do. Okay, but the Lemurian legends and all these other strange tales of Mount Shasta, where and when did they arise? I've always argued that the West and West Coast have always been home to spiritual pioneers, these people who existed outside the Protestant Christian mainstream of America, fringe dwellers, channelers, prophets for pay and wild syncretists. These were people who simply could not exist in the waspy traditions of the East Coast or the banality of Middle America. Which is why you will come to find that we spend a lot of time in the western portion of the states on this podcast. Shasta is obviously no exception. The first example of Lemuria being mentioned is by a Wairican teen named Frederick Spencer Oliver. Sometime in the 1880s, he wrote a book that was apparently dictated by a Lemurian spirit named Phylos. The book was called A Dweller on Two Planets, or The Dividing of the Way. This kid's book, while relatively unknown these days, is a massively important book as far as Mount Shastan legends go. It's pretty much the source of all the wild shit that would follow. So uh, if you're thinking about writing and publishing something weird, just go for it. You never know what could happen. The book contains the first published references linking Mount Shasta to a mystical brotherhood, a tunnel entrance to a secret city inside Mount Shasta, Lemuria, the concept of the I am, and the channeling of ethereal spirits, all legends which still remain around Mount Shasta and those who speak of it. The author of this book, Frederick Spencer Oliver, was a young watercolor artist residing in the nearby town of Wairika. He had a deep sense of devotion, respect, and awe which he directed towards the mountain and its lonely, haunting silhouette. He once remarked after watching the sun rise over the mountain from a nearby ridge, quote, away in the south where its peak holds aloft the sky, tis rosy, glowing pink, it rises not like other mountain pile from ranges rivaling its own height, no, all alone it stands forth from its high plateau, piercing heaven's blue from base to summit, Shasta, O Mount Shasta. I think there is something to be said for the amount of awe this mountain inspires in people, and that legends like the one surrounding Mount Shasta 
They don't just pop out of nowhere. So much of humanity's mythology and our legends emerge geographically. They are tied to place. Certain places hold a power over our minds and our souls. Maybe that power is purely visual or sensory in nature, or perhaps it is spiritual, psychic, and ancient. Regardless of the truth of the legends surrounding these sacred, powerful sites, the truth of the power these places hold in our collective psyches and imaginations is undeniable. Almost every human with half an imagination has sat staring at a particularly impressive mountain thinking, what the hell is that? What spirit dwells within you? What tales of times and tragedies long before my existence and long after my death do you have to tell? Such is the power the natural world holds, even in an industrialized and spiritually deficient society like our current one. It is a synthesis of the natural and supernatural world which brings about Oliver's book. Oliver was fascinated by Tibet Atlantis, and the occult, all favorite topics of the Theosophical Society. However, Oliver, or his channeled Lemurian spirit, Philo, took these topics and combined them with the awe-inspiring geography of his locale, creating a uniquely Californian spin on Theosophy, a spin that would set the precedent for Shasta becoming a New Age pilgrimage center. Oliver claimed that Mount Shasta had portals, doorways, which led to the Ascended Masters, and while no gold was ever found near Mount Shasta, Oliver claimed the true gold was the spiritual gold the area offered to all those with eyes to see and ears to hear. As Philos himself says on page 248 of A Dweller on Two Planets, Quote, what secrets, perchance, are about us? That tall basalt cliff conceals a doorway. We do not suspect this, nor that a long tunnel stretches away far into the interior of a majestic Shasta. Wholly unthought is it that there lie at the tunnel's far end vast apartments, the home of a mystic brotherhood, whose occult arts hollowed that tunnel and mysterious dwelling. Are you incredulous as to see these things? Go there, or suffer yourself to be taken there, as I was once. See, as I saw, the walls polished as by jewelers, though excavated as by giants, and in their wonderful polishing exhibiting veinings of gold, of silver, of green copper ores, and precious stones, verily a mystic temple, a refuge. Does it truly exist? Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Shasta is a true guardian, and silently towers, giving no sign of that within his breast. But there is a key. The one who first conquers self, Shasta will not deny. With the irresistible promise of Philos, the Lemurian himself, Word would begin to spread of the Lemurians and Ascended Masters lying dormant inside Mount Shasta. It would become America's 
holy mountain steeped in murky lore promising an alchemical transformation of spirit to those who dared visit. The first to visit were of course those who went looking for literal, physical, Lemurian gold and hidden civilizations within the mountain, the classic American explorer archetype, merely looking for new lands to plumage and new shiny things to sell. As time went on, the search for spiritual gold became more purely metaphysical in nature. Gone were the days of digging for treasure and seeking out lost caverns on the mountain. The new initiates of the mountain knew that what it truly had to offer was to be found within the seeker, him or herself. It is at this crucial point that we see the creation of Mount Shasta's first major new religious movement, that being Guy Ballard's I Am activity. There is, perhaps, no religious movement that is more emblematic of mystical America than the I Am activity, with its mix of theosophy, patriotism, new thought, capitalism, and the new age all rolled into one spiritual smorgasbord. The I Am activity was, to my mind, a distinctly American religious phenomena. It's for that reason that I figure we'll return to it in our next episode. Because now that the groundwork has been laid for understanding Theosophy, Lemuria, and Mount Shasta, we can delve even deeper into the jeweled caverns of this mysterious mountain and see what truly lies beneath. Well, I'm Isaac Hill. This is Mystical America. Let's end with a prayer, shall we? Oh, great masters of the mountain, may you bless all the souls who walk upon this lonesome continent. May you inspire them to find the truth hidden behind every crystalline cavern and give them the strength to ascend past the astral realms into the abode of the heavens, the stars, and the archangels. May the lost spirits of Lemuria and Atlantis bring us light and love all the rest of our days, and may all beings feel the blissful winds of eternity upon their backs, now and forever. Om. Shanti, 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 Amen, Amen.